Welcome to Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit, the podcast that dissects Who Framed Roger Rabbit one minute at a time with special guest Gary K. Wolf. Welcome to Minute Four. I, as always, am Chris Blair, and also, as always, Annie McMullen. I am actually the new Annie McMullen. <laughs> This is this is a brand new ending with Mullen. Brand new. We have a very special guest on Gary K. Wolf. Gary, this is a question we're going to ask all our guests. What is your relationship with the movie <laughs> Who Framed Roger Rabbit? <laughs> well, um, I I wrote the book called Who Censored Roger Rabbit that uh, introduced all of the characters and the concept of Toontown and the whole concept of cartoon characters coexisting in a real world with human beings. Uh, that was that was my main contribution. Uh, Disney then bought the rights to that book. Uh, I then worked with Steve Spielberg uh, and Disney to produce the movie. Uh, and they, they produced the movie based on my book and my vision of what it, a world would be like where cartoon characters were real. So you invented Roger Rabbit. Um, (laughs) And, and, you know, if I were to die tomorrow and on my tombstone, it said, here lies Gary K. Wolf. He created Roger Rabbit in Toontown. Enough. (laughs) That's a um, very, it's a, it's a really great legacy. Um, It really is. And uh, my greater legacy, of course, is the creation of Jessica Rabbit. Whenever I am introduced to to any group of, say, teenage boys, they bow down (laughs) before me. You know, we are not worthy. We are not worthy. (laughs) When I I went to China recently to do some some teaching and some lecturing, uh, whenever they introduced me and they talked, and I talked about Jessica Rabbit, the translator, would translate Jessica Rabbit and everybody would laugh. And I finally asked the translator, I said, why are you laughing whenever I say Jessica Rabbit? And he said, well, in Chinese, they refer to Jessica Rabbit as big melons. So, <laughs> so I am in China, I am the big melon man. I hope that that also goes on your tombstone too. Creator of Roger Rabbit and you know, you know, maybe I get maybe I need a, a cinemascope tombstone. I'll buy two. Well, I feel it'd only be fitting if you had a tombstone, but it's probably oh, <laughs> oh geez that's going in the next book it talks to you you know you go through the you go through the graveyard at night and says hey wait hey want to have some fun (laughs) so not only are the author author of who censored roger rabbit but the author of the two sequels who plugged roger rabbit and who whacked roger rabbit yeah, they, we, we, we standardized on the four-piece stutter for the second one, and uh, then <laughs> Roger Rabbit uh, was the third. Um, I also just finished a Jessica Rabbit novel. It, oh. It's, yeah, it's an origin story. It tells about uh, Jessica's journey from being a, uh, a plain, ordinary shop girl to becoming Jessica Rabbit. also talks about where Toontown came from and how she met Roger. And um, uh, we've got some other other rabbit projects uh, that are going on right now that uh, I, I can't talk about, but the Roger Rabbit fans are going to be very happy. I'll, I'll tell you that. Yeah, wow. I, I will tell you. I will tell you one thing. 
that I have not told anyone anywhere, but uh, what I want to do is a line of Roger Rabbit uh, marijuana edibles. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. We'll call them Hi. rabbit pellets and the <laughs> will be get high in Toontown. <laughs> I love that so much. I can't even tell you. Uh, when Chris invited me to do this with him, I said, like, I love that movie. It's a masterpiece. So excited. Uh, but I was a little worried about my credentials and I thought, what could I possibly contribute to this? And I thought I could get really, really high and watch it a lot of times. That would be <laughs> Here, here you will be something I can do. <laughs> Eat a rabbit pellet and watch the movie. <laughs> well, if those get launched, we'll definitely do a, a, a special episode where we where we test them and see if we get any different takeaways. We're on minute four right now. Minute four begins with pots continuing to fall on Roger and ends with baby Herman falling from the refrigerator. This is another minute of Roger just getting tortured throughout the entire minutes. Not until like watching these one minute at a time do I notice how much of uh, cartoons are just a character getting tortured, like just repeated physical violence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This this minute is it's extremely action packed. Like plot wise, you know we're not we're not moving forward a lot here. But like I I got to like twenty one seconds into the first minute and I was like a lot has already happened. There's in terms of the like the the action and the bodily injury to Roger there's a lot in this minute for some reason they keep the bottle of hot chili sauce on the shelf with the pots and pans which then falls onto it note that this is also made by Acme as most of these things in this Acme's a pretty big conglomerate they got a lot of iron to the fire (laughs) yeah they really do just ask the road runner I mean (laughs) (laughs) Acme's got a lot of things going (laughs) I looked up Acme because I was like okay where does this come from where where did where did they come up with this and apparently it was just a really common company name because it means highest point Mm -hmm. um so lots of company, there was lots of Acme companies just going around, including a real Acme Anvil company. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> the chili sauce falls into the opening on uh, Roger's, what, I guess tea kettle. A, it's a tea, tea kettle. kettle. Okay. Yeah. It, it falls into it. And for some reason just makes the entire tea kettle turn red. It's, it must be very, very hot, hot sauce. Yeah, that if it if it can show through a tea kettle, that is ridiculously <laughs> yeah. hot hot sauce. Yeah. He oh. has steam coming out of everywhere too. If you yeah. watch it, it's coming out of his uh, wide leg raver overalls. Uh, it's coming out of the spout of the tea kettle. It's coming out of absolutely everywhere. So this is intense hot sauce. Yeah, and like I mean, it it filled up that entire pot. So this stuff got into his eyes, into his ears. This is it's it. everywhere. As we theorized before that um, Ms. Herman's Kitchen is, in fact, the science lab, uh, makes sense. (laughs) I agree. I agree. Yeah, I have. So, uh, Gary, something we've talked about a lot is how we think that Mrs. Herman is, like, fully deranged. Like, every piece of evidence (laughs) that we have throughout this cartoon. Yeah, I mean, it just points to a woman who is completely off her rocker she she threatens to send her son's babysitter her baby herman's babysitter back to the science lab i mean like this is not a nice 
woman. And, um, you know, the way that her kitchen is organized is pointing to some deeper, deeper problems. Uh, there's a lot of unsettling things happening in this kitchen, not the least of which is the sheer number of pots and pans that there (laughs) are. Uh, this is like a family kitchen and the number of pots and pans that fall just that fall on Roger's head are like, it would be a lot for like a regional goodwill distribution center. And it's, it's, you know, in their home. Thank God we're not uh, we're not bounded by reality when we're showing uh, Herman's mother's kitchen. And I think I think you get another take on uh, baby Herman's mother uh, in the next uh, in the next scene. You, you oh yeah, out, you find out a little more about what really makes her tick in the next scene. Yeah, <laughs> which do. which we we'll definitely get to. That's something I did not notice until I was watching this because it's such in the background. But um, yeah, we, we'll definitely get to that next minute. As we talked about a little bit before, just Roger, different bad things happen to him. He, after the, the chili sauce, he gets impaled essentially by the ironing board. Um, yeah. <laughs> very painful. This ironing board just goes through the entirety of his body. <laughs> it does. He, he becomes um, an ironing board shaped rabbit <laughs> momentarily. And then knives fly towards Roger too, by the way, and, you know, almost hit him on every angle. Then we get- uh, Knives that are, that you, so you sort of glossed over this, knives that are conveniently stored blade up. Yes. Which, <laughs> no, how do you, how do you even get one of those out? to use it without and it feels like she's just playing this dangerous game of like hand stabby yeah she's a loon yeah she's not gonna win mother of the year award <laughs> yeah, she's definitely not. also she's like why does she have hot sauce it's 1947 she's like clearly a white woman like there's no way she's you know chugging this volcano heat right like like what is she we know about food from back then it wasn't What's going on here? She's crazy. Well, She's know. that's part of her torture scheme. That, you know, the funny thing is that that woman comes directly from my own childhood. I mean, that was my mother to a T. <laughs> oh, no. no. <laughs> Are you okay? No, not really. <laughs> Mom, if you're watching, I'm only kidding. One of those knives almost uh, hits Roger's, uh, should we call it never, never regions? Uh, whatever you want to call <laughs> yeah, them. I think that's, uh, uh, that's animation humor. And, uh, you know, we'll see more of that as the movie progresses. There's a lot of that kind of, uh, that kind of humor, some of it visible and some of it not visible. Yeah. yeah we'll talk definitely. about the not visible stuff in the next segment. I want to know, cause then the plunger shoots at him. Why also is there a plunger in the kitchen? That feels weird to me. Who keeps a plunger in the kitchen? That feels like the last thing that should be in your kitchen, unless you're yeah. deranged. <laughs> <laughs> which she most definitely is i mean i i don't think i've ever had to plunge my kitchen sink before i mean um, i so that's like theoretically possible but i feel like you would have i mean at least mark it right like this one's for the kitchen because mm-hmm. there's nothing more foul to me than the idea that you're just like using a plunger in multiple areas of your home and one is a toilet and one is your kitchen sink <laughs> Yeah, that is pretty gross, Miss Herman. It's really foul. It's really foul. Um, so, so one thing that I, you, again, I don't want to, I feel a little bit bad, like I'm piling on to Mrs. Herman and how insane she is, but. Um, you mean you're, ne- you're treating her like Roger is getting treated? Yeah, I am. I am. I just, maybe it's, I'm sticking up for Roger. You know, I feel bad. I feel like somebody has got to give it back to, back to this woman, but 
so to me, we've, I've gone on endlessly about the insane things in this woman's kitchen, but the next thing that happens to me is the most deranged thing so far. Um, and that is that baby Herman gets up on top of the refrigerator and he lands on a stack of bread and that stack of bread is stacked vertically in no bag, in no bread (laughs) box, in nothing. It is, it is open slices of bread stacked vertically on top of a refrigerator. And I, I cannot process this. (laughs) Yeah. That is really gross. (laughs) It's, it's gross. It is, it's deliberate. It's not like, oh, you know, you've just been casually throwing your knives into this container and they just happen to be blade up. Right. Or like, you just have a lot of pots. Maybe you're you are a bit of a hoarder, you know, um, this is someone deliberately stacked a loaf of sliced bread vertically with nothing between the bread and bare fridge top. (laughs) It's, it's absolute lunacy. This to me is like, you only do this if you are completely divorced from reality or you're trying to prove a point. Yeah, it, it it's it's disgusting. And <laughs> well, just really want to hit the quickly the uh, end of this minute. Roger gets falls into the succomatic vacuum cleaner and gets a whole bunch of dirty vacuum cleaner air um, <laughs> thrust into him. Sucks a lot. Sucks a lot. Sucks a lot. Sucks a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which I assume has to be a play on sucks a lot, but. Um, well lux was like there was a lot of appliances with like a lux thing yeah there was acme uh the stove was called hotter than hell yeah (laughs) Um, you know we had a lot of fun with uh naming appliances around the kitchen and i wonder since uh, i'm sorry spoiler for the next minute but we learned that this is all uh this is all happening on set and i just wonder like how much of this torture is robert is roger legitimately going through it feels like all of it. I mean, it, we'll talk about it more, but it doesn't seem like they've, um, there's no special effects yeah. involved. This is a very method production. Roger's <laughs> doing all his own stunts here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So he gets, he gets blown up like a balloon, like a giant balloon. And then goes, starts deflating around the kitchen. We get a full view of this gigantic kitchen again. And we once again see how insanely large this kitchen is. It's, uh, it's much taller than we had previously seen in addition to, you know, it's vast square footage. Yeah. Way too big for a home that only a woman, a baby and a rabbit lives in. Uh, there's also like, while he's flying around, he hits things. There's like books, there's teacups. There's a lot of stuff. I'm not really sure where any of that is coming from. Um, yeah. It's got very kind of like a Mad Hatter vibes, right? Like, or very like Alice in Wonderland where, uh, you know, the, the laws of space and time don't really apply. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems like just random things are, are magically appearing in front of Roger. Uh, but then Roger falls under the refrigerator, which I believe was a, was uh, in the screenplay at least. It is a safe that he is getting hit by. Yeah. So he, this is the part I, I 
I kind of don't understand. He, he ends up wedging himself under the refrigerator, which kind of, you know, wiggles it a little bit. And then baby Herman, who's finally got this hand on a cookie, uh, falls off the edge. He sort of teeters and and falls off the edge. Uh, and, and Roger catches him. Yeah, it, it, it is kind of confusing the, how Roger gets his head. I guess that's just part of his elasticity that he is able to just uh, get his entire head under a refrigerator that uh, goes all the way to the ground. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I don't know very much about rabbits. I don't know if they exist in that same space as like rodents, right? Like mice and rats where they can just like fit, like if their skull can fit through, <laughs> yeah. they can fit through anything kind of thing. Or, yeah, they just know? contort their body to be able yeah. to do that. <laughs> like their organs don't matter. There's no, you know, they don't need any kind of uh, structure. They're like liquid animals. I don't know. Roger must exist in, in that space as well. Yeah, I hope for Roger's sake, that is what is happening for him. Yeah. So also like, so baby Herman has his hands on this cookie now. It does not look like a great cookie. It frankly looks pretty dry. Yeah, yeah. He went through all that effort for that cookie. <laughs> it looks it looks like it might be a ginger snap, which in my opinion is just like, not a cookie you're going out of your way for, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really the, just the insult to injury that Miss Herman leaves out that not only did you risk your life, but enjoy your ginger snap. Oh, it might even be like a ginger snap. It might even be just like a, like a, you know, like a teething biscuit, like a, or like one of those, uh, what are they called? Like a digestive biscuit, you know, or like, were they trying to pass off, um, just some kind of weird knockoff granola bar situation as a cookie uh it doesn't it just it doesn't look good yeah she's it's very not tempting um I feel they could have gone for a much better cookie in this scene throw some chocolate chips in there something yeah something come on Raul J Raul let's get this production together <laughs> pull it together dude <laughs> Any any final thoughts about that particular minute? Well, I'll tell you, I'll just I'll just talk about why this particular segment is so so important. Um, the if you remember the old days back in the back in the forties uh, and fifties, when you went to a movie, movies always started with a cartoon. They always had a cartoon up front. Tom and Jerry, that those famous <laughs> Disney characters, <laughs> you know, Woody Woodpecker or uh, Donald Duck, uh, very rarely Mickey Mouse. He wasn't making many cartoons by then, but uh, there was always a cartoon in front of the movie. So when we did Who Framed Roger Rabbit, we wanted to capture uh, some of some of that aura, uh, that 1947 aura. So we wanted to start the movie with a cartoon. So it actually is kind of a movie within a movie because it's a cartoon, but you, you later find out that it's really somebody making a cartoon and what's gonna be done with that cartoon? Well, it's gonna be in front of a movie, but here it really is in front of a movie. So, uh, you know, you see the cartoon and that kind of gets you back into what, movies used to be back in 1947. It starts with a cartoon. Now, um, the cartoon, starting the movie with a cartoon gave us a problem because contractually, I mean, Hollywood runs on contracts. 
contractually, the, the key players uh, associated with a movie have to have their credits at the beginning of the movie. It's contractual. You, you, you got to do it. It's got to be the director, the stars, the writer. Uh, those people have to have their credits at the beginning of the movie. But when we thought about it and analyzed it, we realized that if we did that, uh, it would take people out of the reality we were trying to build. It might have definitely tipped Nish off. We would not <laughs> have gotten the We would not have gotten the baby's day off of parallels that we're getting. <laughs> so, so we actually, so the first, actually one of the first things I had to do when I was involved with the movie was sign a waiver saying it was okay to put my credit at the end of the movie instead of the beginning. Oh, so wow. that's why all credits are at the end of the movie because they didn't want to, they wanted to go hop right in with action, cartoon, just like they did in the old days. And they, they mimicked an old style cartoon pretty well. Um, the, um, the cartoon at the beginning establishes a couple of things. First of all, it establishes two of what, what will be the main characters, Roger Rabbit and Baby Herman. And it kind of shows their relationship, which of course later changes, but it, you know, in the context of the cartoon, it shows their relationship. Baby Herman is the, the eternal innocent who only wants a cookie and doesn't know that, that getting the cookie uh, puts him in all kinds of dangerous situations. Roger is the kind-hearted, uh, kind-hearted babysitter who just wants to take care of the baby and wants to make sure that he doesn't come to harm and it will do anything he can to make sure that that baby is safe. And, uh, and that gets Roger into a lot of trouble because Roger's a klutz. Um, you also see Roger, um, you also see him doing his please for the first time, although it's not exactly a please, it's more and I can't do it, Charlie Fleischer, perfectly, <laughs> but it's more of a help me kind of. Uh, so you, you see that. So those things are, are kind of are kind of set up. But the other thing that that opening sequence does, that whole cartoon sequence does, Dick Williams, who was the lead animator on Roger Rabbit, uh, had a had a meeting with Bob Zemeckis, and uh, Dick asked Bob Z. Um, you know, what he wanted in the way of animation. And uh, Bob Z said, well, I, I would like the animation to be just like the movie. I, I want to see different angles and I want to see moving cameras and I want to see different focal planes. Now, if you think about the old style cartoons, um, <laughs> Tom and Jerry, uh, Tom and Jerry kind of move and the background stays static and the characters kind of move in front. And that that's done for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's cheaper that way if you don't move the background. And secondly, uh, there's a perspective involved because film goes through a camera at 24 frames a second. So that means you have to do 24 drawings or, or animation cells, 24 cells per second. Now, if you've got something that's moving, every time it changes, the perspective changes. So the more movement you have on the screen, the harder it is to get the perspective of everything right. Um, 
And that's why the background tends to stay flat and only the characters move because it's much easier to just animate the characters instead of the whole background and everything. Well, um, Bob Z said to Williams, you know, what do you want me to do in terms of camera? Because it used to be that you would lock down the camera, Mary Poppins dancing with the, with the penguins. The camera was locked down and Mary Poppins and the penguins danced in front of the camera. Um, uh, Gene Kelly dancing with Tom from Tom and Jerry. Um, they locked down the camera and, and then Jerry just danced <clears throat> in front of the camera. Um, it really simplifies the animation. Well, Bob Z said to Dick Williams, I, I mean, uh, Dick Williams said to Bob Z, you know, just make your movie, do whatever you want with the camera, move it, wh whatever, zoom shots, whatever, and the animators will take care of the animation. And Bob Z said, great, you know, perfect. So um, Dick Williams wanted to start out this with a visual bang. And, and he wanted to not, he wasn't, he, he was concerned about making a great movie, but he really wanted to impress animators. He wanted animators to look at this first scene and have their jaws drop. Wow, how did they do that? And this is total animation. And so Dick Williams personally animated that first scene himself. He did, did, did it all. And Dick Williams is a perfectionist a craftsman. He, he did the, uh, the title scenes for uh, a live action movie called Charge of the Light Brigade. And in between scenes, uh, the, the illustration is, is a uh, Victoria dot etching of uh, a Charge of the Light Brigade or something. And then it starts to animate. The dots start to animate on this dot etching. Dick Williams animated every single dot himself, every single dot. That's the kind of craftsman he was. So he wanted animators to look at this and say, oh my God, how did they do that? So what are the little things that you wanna look for? All right, first of all, um, the floor. The floor is black and white checkerboard tile reflective now, too reflective yes so every time at every 24 frames a second every 24th of a second the perspective on those tiles changes so that's i mean the mind boggles the mind boggles and then to up it there are times when roger's reflection is seen in the tiles so not only is uh, uh, not only is the perspective changing, but the reflection is there, and the reflection uh, is changing along with the, along with the tiles. So um, I, I think he succeeded. I mean, animators yeah. who, animators who see that sequence uh, cannot believe how great an animation job that is. It's just it's just amazing. Um, so for this minute, my MVP is, um, it's the stacked bread. I can't, I can't, it can't be anything else. Like all the rest of the action we've come to expect that is, that is hands down the most deranged thing there. And, you know, it may go unnoticed by a lot of people, but I'm going to say that it's doing a lot of work and contributing to the ominous vibe of this minute.
All right, that is it for today. We are a dueling genre podcast. You can find all of their podcasts, including many more Movies by Minutes ones, on duelinggenre.com. And you can click on the link to support. I want to thank Gary K. Wolf for being here. You can find all of his books, including the one this movie is based on, Who Censored Roger Rabbit, on GaryWolf.com. Thanks for listening, and we will see you on Wednesday for Minute 5 of Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit.